Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So this morning, uh, I want to kind of kind of wrap up the series that we've been in called Kingdom Come. And over the past several weeks, we've been talking about uh, the birth of Jesus, you know, because that's what we do in December, right? But we've been talking about the birth of Jesus, and we've been talking about the implications of it, how Jesus fulfilled prophecy, uh, the reason that he came as a baby. Uh, we talked about the fact that he serves in the roles of prophet, priest, and king, and we talked a little bit about what those roles were and what that means for us. And so, kind of to, to end up our series this week, I wanted to take some time, since we've been talking about this kingdom that Jesus came to usher in, and we've been talking about the arrival of the kingdom of heaven, I wanted to talk about what it means for us to live as citizens of that kingdom. What does it really mean for us to submit to the lordship of Jesus, for us to say, God, you are king, and I will live in your kingdom, I will live as a part of your kingdom. I will be a citizen of that kingdom. And so this morning, I want to take a little bit of time and examine what that means for us. And so we're going to talk about the upside-down kingdom of God. The upside-down kingdom of God. Uh, I don't know if there are any other nerds in the room, but I really like documentary films. Anybody else? There are a couple of you. Uh, I like documentaries. I, I I search for them on Netflix. I, I just I enjoy watching that kind of stuff. And I came across one recently that was really, really interesting. Uh, and the, the, the film took a look at advertising and its effect on our culture. Uh, we've had what we understand as advertising, like modern advertising, has been around for about 100 years now. And um, this film was called uh, The Century of Self. Yeah, that's what I said too. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think that there's a more fitting title for a movie that really describes the driving force of our culture. And advertising has just kind of fed into that idea. This idea that we live in a world and we live in a time where the self is supreme. Everywhere you look, it's about self-actualization and self esteem and self-fulfillment. And we, we live in this time and this place where this idea that we have to satisfy every desire, the self, right? And that if we can't do that, if there's something that prevents us from doing that, or if there's some reason that we can't get what we want, we believe that that then is a hindrance to us living a happy life. In fact, for most of us, we can't even conceive of a good life where we don't get all of our desires fulfilled. Our culture would have us believe that satisfying the self is the key to happiness, to the good life, to fulfillment. We think and we believe that if I could just have X or if I could just get Y, then that would finally be enough. But the problem with that is that experience tells us just the opposite. Right? Experience tells us that desire is never satisfied. That no matter how much we accumulate, no matter how many things we can experience, 
No matter how high up the corporate ladder we can climb, there is always this desire for more. We are never satisfied. John Rockefeller, who um, at one time was the richest man in the world, right? So they asked him, at the height of his fortune, they asked him, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough money? And his answer was, just a little more. And that's really the way that it is. No matter how much we can get, there's this thing inside of us that goes, if I just had a little more. Just a little more. It seems like it's an endless quest. It's a vicious cycle. It's uh, at the same time, ironically, feels completely normal and right. And we never really question it. It just feels like that's right side up. That's the way things ought to be. We should all be striving for more. And in fact, in our, in our culture, right, in American culture, we're applauded for that. We're applauded for this striving and for this, you know, work hard and do more. And, and, and there's a place for that. It's not that I'm saying that hard work isn't a good thing, right? In fact, God worked for six days. At the very beginning, we see a God who works. And so there is, there is fruit for our labor and there is something there to be gleaned and there is something that is good in that. But the problem occurs when we make this satisfying of desires, whether it's, whether it's uh, wealth or whether it's pleasure or whether it's um, success or whatever that may be, we, we make that into an ultimate thing. We make that into the thing that we believe will finally give us validation, will finally give us uh, value and worth, and, and we then work ourselves to death. Yeah. It feels right to us. But here's the thing, Jesus calls us to a very different way of seeing the world. He calls us into a very different way of living and engaging the world around us. Jesus calls us to things that really to us seem counterintuitive. They seem upside down. Because we hear Jesus saying things like this, right? The last will be first and the first will be last. If you want to be great, first become a servant. Love your enemies and do good to those who persecute you. Treat others not as they treat you, but as you would like them to treat you. That's what I have to say to my daughters all the time. You know, they're fighting with each other. Hey, remember the golden rule? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's another one that Jesus says that seems counterintuitive to us. We love the people who love us, but it doesn't seem right for us to love people as much as we love ourselves, right? Or it doesn't seem right to us to love our enemies. That's what Jesus said. Do good to those who persecute you. Jesus says things like the humble will be exalted. And he says if you save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose it for my sake, you will find it. 
And there are a whole lot more of those, right? If we really examine the gospel, if we examine the teachings of Jesus, if we really dig into the New Testament, we understand that there are things there that just seem upside down to us. And so the question for us then becomes, why does God call us to this kind of life? What is it about this counterintuitive way of living that that Jesus is calling us into? What is it about that that God believes is good for us? What is it about that that God thinks needs to be a part of the way that we live and how does that transform us what does it do for us and what does it do in us and to those around us and so I want to take a little bit of time and look at that this morning so if you would open your Bibles look at Mark chapter 8 we're going to read verses 31 through 38 Mark chapter 8 verses 31 through 38 and it says this he talking about Jesus it says and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, he rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So the disciples hear what Jesus is saying, right? Up until this time, Jesus has really kind of taught mostly in parables, and there's a lot of times where the disciples go, huh, I don't get it. You know, and so Jesus is really laying things out plainly here. He says, look, we're going to go into Jerusalem. Uh, they're not going to like what I have to say. They're, they're, they're going to persecute us. They're going to take me. They're going to kill me, right? I'm going to die. We're going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to die. And the disciples don't like this at all. And so Peter takes Jesus aside and is like, hey, dude, you can't be saying stuff like that. And we'll never let that happen to you. And then here's Jesus' response, right? He says, Get behind me, Satan. Um, I don't know about you, but that is not on my list of things I want to hear Jesus say. Um, But he says, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And so here's here's this problem that we have, right? The things that seem right side up to us are often counterintuitive. They're often the opposite of what God is calling us to. And that's difficult for us. And we see this happening with Peter. Jesus is saying what God's plan is. He's telling them what's going to happen. And it just doesn't seem right to Peter. And we come up against that all the time. And Proverbs even tells us that this is the way that it is. It says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that is death. And so here we have this Peter doing the same thing that we do, right? He's coming up against this thing of, I hear what you're saying, but that can't be right. God, I, I, I see what you're calling me to, but that, that can't be right. And so Jesus tells him, you're setting your mind on the things of God, not on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling to the crowd, or calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, and here's the real crux of our, our talk today, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the Holy Spirit. 
angels. Um, let's pause and we'll pray and then we'll dive in some more. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it accomplishes the purpose that it was set out to accomplish. And so, Lord, as we open it together today, I pray that it would fall on good ground, that it would find root in our hearts. Lord, that we would uh, be shaped and made into your image, that you would help us to see life in the way that you do, that you would help us to see and engage the world in ways that honor you. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that as we draw nearer to you, we would recognize, Lord, that it is us who are upside down. And that you have called us, Lord, to a life that we could never even fathom of peace and joy and contentment. So, Lord, have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So when we talk about this upside-down life, when we talk about this idea of denying ourselves, because that's really what Jesus is calling us to, uh, I want to talk first to you about what it's not. Because we have this idea that when, when Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, uh, the idea that comes into our mind because of what we believe in our culture is that denying ourselves is simply kind of akin to dieting, right? If there's something that's bad for me, I'll just do less of it and then it'll be better. And we believe that that's what denying ourselves means. So diet and exercise kind of maybe is the closest parallel in our culture. And so we think, okay, well, I'll eat less carbs and I'll get up early in the morning and I'll go to CrossFit. And, and some of you who do CrossFit, you get Christians and cult members all at the same time. It's, a, it's amazing existence. Um, but uh, no, we, so we think that if we do those things, right, if, and if we do that for long enough, then we'll accomplish a goal that we have set in mind. And we, we equate that with what it means to deny ourselves and follow Jesus. And so we think, well, if I can just not do enough of this and do a little bit more of that, then eventually I'll accomplish this goal, right? I'll have this thing that I accomplish. But the problem with that is, is that that kind of thinking really terminates on us again. It, the problem with that is that we end up, it's about us. And when Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, that's not what he's calling us to. It's not about denying yourself, single word. It's about denying yourself. And when the scriptures talk about the self, there's kind of this um, trifecta of things. If you look in the New Testament, uh, there are words like um, the flesh, the world, and the devil, Right? And so those are kind of the things that we're talking about when we talk about denying ourselves. We're talking about setting aside our need to be first. We're talking about setting aside our desires. We're talking about putting ourselves second and saying, Lord, what you want is first. God, let me live first for you. Let me pour myself out for others. And so what it is not is asceticism. It's not this idea where if I can just deny my, myself of enough things, then somehow that will make me holy. If that were the case, then, it would, then Jesus wouldn't have needed to die because it would just be religion. That's what the law was, right? When we lived under the law, that's how we live. When we think if I can just cross enough T's and dot enough I's, if I can just be good enough, then I will be holy. But that is not what Jesus is calling us to. When Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, again, he's calling us to turn away from that instinct that says, me first. Me first. You see, I think that much of our struggle 
as believers, as followers of Jesus, or just simply as people who live in this world, is that like Peter, when we hear Jesus say that there's a cross ahead of us, we are hesitant. We have this unwillingness to go to the cross, and yet Jesus says, if anyone will follow me. And, and let me make another point about this. I think when we hear the word cross, oftentimes like, like we use the phrase, well, it's just my cross to bear. We have this idea that our cross is just, uh, you know, uh, some bummer that we have to deal with, right? Like I've got this, you know, I got this bad back, so it's just my cross to bear. Or, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I don't like the job that I have, and, you know, but I got to make a living for the family, so it's just my cross to bear. And that's really not what Jesus is talking about. And, and not that God isn't concerned with those things, but that's not our cross to bear at all. When Jesus talks about the cross, and when we look at the cross, this was something that Jesus freely and willingly submitted and surrendered himself to in order to accomplish the will of the Father. So when we talk about what it means for us to deny ourselves and take up our cross, what we're really talking about is exactly what Jesus did, where we willingly surrender ourselves to the will of the Father. We lay aside our rights and our desires for the sake of others. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul talks about this a little bit. Uh, and he's writing and he's addressing this particular issue in the Corinthian church. And they had this issue where there were people in the church um, who would go to the, like there's, there's a temple to a, an idol, right? There's a false god. And, and they would sacrifice these animals to these gods, but then the meat would be available out in the marketplace uh, outside of the temple. And so these people would go and they would buy the meat from and they would eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And they didn't see any problem with it because they're like, well, look, that, that's just a, a rock. It's got no, uh, not, got no power anyway. This meat is fine. I'm going to eat it. And then there were other people, though, who thought, well, that, that is a terrible thing. That meat was sacrificed to an idol. You're insulting God by eating that. How in the world could you ever do that? I would never touch something so unholy. And so there was this argument in the church about, should we eat this meat or should we not eat this meat? And if you guys are eating this meat, then you don't know Jesus. And you, you guys are just legalists. You know, it was that whole kind of meat. And um, so Paul writes to address this thing. And he says, hey, guys, it's just meat. And you can eat it if you want to. But, but, if eating that meat causes your brother to stumble, don't eat it. Right? And the idea here is that if there is something, some behavior, some activity, something that maybe I feel in my Christian liberty I'm perfectly okay to do, and, but it's a stumbling block to my brother, it's a stumbling block to someone else, it's hindering them from growing in their faith. If there's maybe uh, a young Christian in my life who doesn't understand, you know, maybe they came out of, a, of something that, do you understand what I'm saying? What Jesus says to us that, is that if we are doing something that is a hindrance to the furthering of the gospel, that is, help, that is hindering someone in growing in their faith, that is causing someone to stumble, then I should be willing to lay that aside for the sake of the gospel. 
That's what it means to deny ourselves and take up the cross. It's when we say, Lord, even though this may be something I enjoy, and even though, God, this may be something that in your sight is not sin, I will still willingly lay it down if it helps me to reach someone else, if it helps me to bring someone else to you, if it helps someone else to grow in their faith. God, I will forego my wants, my desires, me first. I will let that go if it glorifies you. The greatest example of this, right, is in Jesus himself. Uh, if you look in Matthew chapter six, 26 or Luke chapter 22, it's when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and he says, Father, if it is possible, right, he's praying, he's, he's about to go to the cross and he says, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, right? So he's saying, Lord, Father, if there's any way that, that we can accomplish this without me going to the cross, If, there, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, right? And that's a huge word. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. See, there's this place that God is calling us to. There's this way of life, this upside-down way of living that God calls us to that finds its expression in that attitude. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. There's this place that God calls us to that we go, God, my life does not belong to me. It is yours. Whatever you want, whatever you ask, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, God, even if it feels uncomfortable, I am willing to step out and do it. Lord, even if it means uh, sharing your love with somebody that I have a hard time loving, God, if it means letting go of prejudices, if it means whatever it is, God, I will do whatever it is that you are calling me to do, not my will, but yours be done. And here's the thing about that. This is what makes it so different from religion, from this, if I deny myself of enough things, then I'll be holy. You see, that's an outside-in kind of thing. And when God calls us to deny ourselves, when he calls us, this work that he does is from the inside out. It's from the inside out. And so why are we called to this kind of life? What is it that God desires for us? What is it that about this way of living that God sees as valuable? The first thing I would say is that God calls us to this kind of life for His glory. For His glory. There is nothing that displays the glory and the wonder of God more than when we live out life in this way. Because there is nothing more antithetical, there's nothing more opposite to the world than when they see a people who live to serve others. There's nothing that brings honor to God more than that. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-12, through 12, Peter says this, and I, actually I think I'll just probably read verses 9 and 10. 
Uh, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And here's the key, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So God calls us into this life so that we might show forth the excellencies. Uh, there's another translation that says you might show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So God calls us out of the way that we live. He calls us out of the world system. He calls us out of this right side up, seemingly, right? He calls us out of the world's kingdom and into a different way of living, into this upside down life into the kingdom of heaven so that his glory might be proclaimed. And so that's the first reason. The second reason that God calls us into this kind of life is for our good. And even though it may seem counterintuitive to us, there is no better way to live. There is no more fulfilling, no more joyous, no more complete life than this life that is poured out for others. John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. You see, God's thoughts toward you are good, always. God's plans for you are good. Now, don't get this misconstrued. That doesn't mean we won't have trouble. In fact, Jesus promised, in this life, you will have trouble. But when we live out of this upside-down way of thinking, when we live out of this God's way of thinking, where it's, Lord, not my will, but yours be done, then we begin to be able to see the value in trouble. You see, the world has a system of values. There are things that the world values, like power, um, comfort, success, and inclusion, acceptance. And it, it, in fact, if you look in Luke chapter 6 at the Beatitudes, there's this, uh, Luke, Luke recounts the Beatitudes as well. We mostly read them from Matthew chapter 5, but in Luke chapter 6, Luke takes a look at him as well, and, and he has this list, right? Blessed are you, blessed are the poor, right? For they will inherit the earth. And, and so, or theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then there's this opposite list. He's, so Luke does this thing where he has the blessings and the woes. And they, they really reveal the values of the world and of the kingdom of heaven and how they oppose one another. So in the, in the world, we see this thing where we have power, success, comfort, and acceptance, but then you flip over and Jesus says, blessed are the poor, right? So there's this, there's this value in the kingdom of heaven where we value weakness. Blessed are the poor, right? Because really wealth and, wealth and poverty is really about power, right? So blessed are the poor. So we have this value for weakness. And then uh, the, the world values um, success. And so we have this thing where in the kingdom of heaven, there's this value for weakness, and there's this value for exclusion or for those who are rejected. In the, in the world, we value comfort, but in the kingdom of heaven, you see, and here's the reason that we value those things. It's not that we go looking for them, right? It's not that you should go, oh, well, I, I feel pretty comfortable today. I must be out of the will of God. That's not it at all. But the values of the kingdom of God, we begin to prize those things. 
right? We hold them as valuable because we understand what they are working out in us. So, for example, if I see Jesus say, blessed are the poor in spirit, or in Luke, he just says, blessed are the poor, right? If I understand that this value of weakness, that God values the weak, then what that begins to do for us as believers is, number one, the idea of blessed are the poor in spirit, well, then we understand that we have nothing good to bring. We have nothing of value to offer to the Lord. He accepts us in spite of that, right? And so we, we're, you know, there's a difference between being poor in spirit and middle class in spirit. And a lot of times we end up being middle class in spirit because we think, well, you know, I was a pretty good person before I came to God. But the problem with that is that, that, that never play, we, we can never be positioned in the proper place before God if that's our understanding of who we are. And so the, the kingdom of heaven values weakness. We value poverty, as it were, in a spiritual sense because we understand what it is working out in us. If I see myself before God in that way, then I understand really what Jesus has accomplished for me. And in a a more practical, physical sense, if we look at Luke just saying, blessed are the poor, what the gospel begins to work out in us, if we see that as a value of the kingdom of heaven, then it it begins to make us attracted to and attractive to those who are marginalized, those who are pushed out on the edges of society, and we begin begin to love and serve them. Rather than clamoring for those who have power, God calls us to those who are weak so that we might raise them up, so that we might bless them. And so God calls us into this kind of life so that he might be glorified and he calls us into this kind of life for our good because his desire for us is that we overcome the world. You see, it's not that, it's not that then uh, when we begin to value the things of, of, the, of the kingdom of God, if we begin to value weakness, it's not that then we don't understand or reject this idea of authority or power. It just means that we can take it or leave it. If it comes, great. Let me use it for God's glory. If it doesn't, Lord, you are all I need. It releases us from this striving, from this system that the world tells us that we ought to live in. And we are able to live content lives. We are able to live lives that say, God, like the Apostle Paul, he said, I've learned in whatever state I am in to be content. If I have little or if I have much, it's okay because I have Jesus. That's what God wants to work out in us. So then the question is, how can we do it, right? I mean, when you look at that, it it seems almost impossible to us to live out of that kind of heart and attitude and life. Here's the good news today. We don't have to do that on our own. God calls us to this life And Jesus himself is both the mode and the means of us living out that life. Here's what I mean by that. Jesus is the mode, which means he's the example. 
right? We look at the life of Jesus. We look at his submission to the Father. We look at his willingness to lay himself down and to give himself for others. We look at how he was constantly reaching out to those who were hurting. He was constantly showing value for the poor in spirit and for the poor in poorness, right? <laughs> Is that a word? I don't know. Um, you know, and he, was, he, was, he was not enamored with power, uh, we look and we see Jesus valuing um, those who were not accepted. We look and we see Jesus, uh, he's valuing uh, those who are willing to lay themselves down and be servants. So he's the perfect example for us. So we see in Jesus, there's the mode, he's the, the example of how we ought to live. And then he is also in himself. The means, right? That means that not only is he going to show us the way that we ought to live, but his promise to us is that he will empower us to do it as well. You see, when you decided or you became a follower of Jesus, when you, you started on this discipleship journey, when you became an apprentice, right? That's really what the word disciple means. We can't it's an apprentice, right? And so if you're an apprentice for, a, you know, like an electrician's apprentice, right? What are, what are they doing? They're learning to become an electrician. To, and so when we become disciples of Jesus, when we become Christians, we are signing up for an apprenticeship. But here's the promise that Jesus makes. When we say, Lord, I will live in your kingdom. I will be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Not only does he show us the way that it ought to be done, but his promise is that he will accomplish it himself in us. How does he do that? Romans chapter 8. We'll start reading in verse number 9. He says, you however are not in the flesh. So Paul before this has given this whole list of things that we do when we're in the flesh. That we can't please God. Uh, that we uh, act out of our selfish nature that we, you know, so there's this whole kind of list of things that he says happen when we're living out of the flesh. But then he gets to verse 9, he says, but you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. You see, we don't have to accomplish this on our own. When you signed up for this apprenticeship, when you said, Jesus, my life belongs to you, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, the Holy Spirit comes and takes residency in us. God begins to work in us from the inside out. You see, before you were a Christian, I'm, I'm willing to bet that there were ways in which you acted out of selfish ambition or selfish desire and you never even thought twice about it. Right? But the moment you surrendered your life to Jesus, you began to see those things. Right? The Holy Spirit began to whisper in you and say, hey, that's not how you ought to live. You see that, that voice there, that, that conviction, that's evidence of God at work in us. So, so let, me, let me just say this to you this morning. If, if you're feeling convicted about something, praise the Lord for that. That is not a bad thing at all. That is not condemnation on you. That is God's gentle, loving voice saying, hey, let me call you into something greater. Let me call you into something better. Let me show you what you've been missing out on. 
So we should never despise that or never reject that. That's the voice of God at work in us. And it is evidence that God is indeed accomplishing his purpose in us. Because, going back to Romans chapter 8, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit um, of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and he does, right? If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. God's promise to us is that not only has he called us to this life, but that he himself will empower us to live it. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 says this, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 1 John 5, 5 says, Who is it that overcomes the world except the one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So when we place our faith in Him, when we say, Lord, I I let go of my desire and my need to be first, and I place you as my chief desire, my one great passion in life, to know you, to live this life in the way that honors you. When we do that, God in his faithfulness promises us that he will enable us to accomplish it. So here's the point of all of this this morning. God has done and is doing incredible things here at the summit. We, have, we, have, we continue to see people coming to Christ. We continue to see our, us being able to reach out into our community and to serve and to do things. And, and we have a, a, a reach that uh, goes around the world through our ministry partners. And God is doing some incredible things here in us and among us. And He deserves all of the glory and all of the praise. But, you knew there was a but coming, right? (laughs) But there are many of us who are still living far beneath God's desire for us. There are some of you who still are not experiencing what it means to live in this upside-down kingdom. You've you've said, Lord, I, I want you to be my Savior, Right? You're, you're here and you're listening and you, you're doing the church thing. But you've hesitated to say, I want fully to be a citizen of this kingdom. We're, we're still living in some ways out of that old way of thinking. We fall back into those patterns and God is calling us higher and He's calling us to something greater. He's calling you to something much more wonderful than you can imagine. And my heart and my desire for us as a body and for you as individuals is that we experience life in the Spirit, life that overcomes the world and the kind of lives that will make the world around us take notice.
and glorify our great God. Bow your heads with me. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would just take your word and let it do what it does. God, you know each of us. You know our hearts. You know where we're at today. So I pray, Lord, that you would speak. Give us ears to listen and hearts to respond. I thank you for the work that you are doing in us. And I'm confident that your promise is true, that you who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. And so, Lord, we ask in this moment that you would examine our hearts show us Lord the ways that we are still yet living out of ourselves the places Lord that maybe we're failing to trust you the things God that we still are holding on to we've yet to release and give control to you. So Lord, have your way in these moments in Jesus' name. If you just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just just a minute. Um, As I've talked about this upside down kingdom, as I've talked about this new way of living that God calls us to, there are probably some of you here today who, um, you're you're not living that life. You haven't, you haven't said, I give my life to you, God. I let go of my need to be first, and I place you first. You're, you're not a Christian today. And so if that's you, if you're here, and, and maybe there's something that's going on in your heart right now, and you, just, you feel that tugging, and, and if you do, that's the, that's the Holy Spirit. That's God talking to you this morning and saying, hey, There's a better way. There's a new life for you. Come and follow me. So if that's you this morning, you say, Todd, I want to start this journey with Jesus today. I want to start following Jesus. Would you just raise your hand and let me see where you're at? Say, Todd, that's me. I want to give my life to God today. Anybody? See you over here on my left. Thank you. All right. So here's what I'd like us to do, church. We'll uh, we'll pray with this one that raised their hand, and if everyone would pray together, say, "Dear Jesus, my life is yours. From this day forward, help me to live life in a way that pleases you." I thank you for what you did on the cross. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Be Lord of my life today. Make me a citizen of the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
So I'd like to ask you to stand. We're going to sing one more song together as kind of is our practice around here. But here's what I'd ask of you. This, this is a song that simply says everything and nothing less. And so as we sing, let's pray and ask the Lord, Lord, examine my heart today. Show me those places that I've, I've yet to relinquish control. Show me those ways, God, in which I'm still living out of that old way of thinking. Show me the ways, God, in which I continue to say me first. And then say, Lord, help me. Empower me to live this life in the way that you would ask me to. And say, Lord, whatever it is you want, I am yours. Can we do that together? Amen.